This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, friends, it is time once again. It's time to get on the road to travel and make some artsy memories with me. Yup, in case you haven't heard the news, we've got a wonderful five-day trip to Santa Fe, New Mexico, coming up this fall, and you are invited. Please join me November 1st through November 5th to explore this vibrant multicultural city that consistently ranks among the world's top art destinations. Let's enjoy that breathtaking desert landscape immerse ourselves in the treasures of the Southwest, and focus in on one of America's greatest modernists, Georgia O'Keeffe, whose works overflow with evidence of her fascination with this, the land of enchantment. This is a small group tour organized by me and my friends at Like Minds Travel, and limited spots are available. So plan now and register as soon as possible. You can grab all of the details at my website, artcuriouspodcast.com slash events, or Google Like Minds Travel, and you'll find us there too. I can't wait to meet you this fall and to explore the beautiful Southwest with you. Like Minds Travel, Art Curious, Santa Fe, November 1 through November 5. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Artist studios, exhibition space, and more. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. Throughout art history, there have been many memorable romantic collaborators. Modern art is no exception. We've discussed quite a few of them already, from Lee Miller to Man Ray to Max Ernst and Dorothea Tanning. There are many partnerships that we are not going to cover this time around, though we have discussed them a bit in the past. Gustav Klimt and Emily Flog a relationship immortalized in Klimt's 1908 masterwork, The Kiss. The marriage of Georgia O'Keeffe and Alfred Stieglitz. Today, we are looking at the creative collaborations between a couple sometimes known as the, quote, quintessential Dada pairing. A couple so playful, so full of team spirit, that they continue to inspire generations of artists even today. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Art Curious Season 13 is all about modern love. And today we are homing in on Hans, known as Jean Arp, and Sophie Tauber Arp. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. As the so-called quintessential Dada couple, Jean Arp and Sophie Tauber Arp were immersed in a creative environment that prized a rejection of the traditional. And by traditional, 
That even included the traditional manner of making art, which often involved the meticulous planning and creation of each work. For Jean Arp, chance, mistakes, a lack of planning, all of that was exciting, as if chaos and randomness were worthy collaborators all on their own. Jean Arp wasn't born Jean. At his birth on September 16, 1886, he was bestowed with the name Hans-Peter Wilhelm Arp, a name that speaks of the circumstances of geography and history of where he was born. Hans Arp, you see, was from France. Yep, I said France. But he was born in Strasbourg in the Alsace-Lorraine region, and in the aftermath of the Franco-Prussian War in 1870 through 1871, this region of France was actually under German rule, and it would remain so until after the armistice of World War I. Hans Arp felt this push and pull within his own family too, as his mother was a French-speaking Alsatian, but his father was German. The difference in his parents' heritage allowed him not to bind to a singular nationality or language. He was able to establish his own unique cultural identity that would later be reflected in his art via these fluid movements between art forms, materials, and styles. In a way then, his background gave him a special kind of freedom. A freedom to set aside strict categories and demarcations and to figure things out on his own. With such outside-of-the-box thinking, it is no surprise that he would become one of the leaders of the European avant-garde during the first half of the 20th century. Hans Arp began his artistic training in his native Strasbourg until 1904, when, as a teenager, he began traveling in search of better educational opportunities, moving first to Paris before trekking over to Weimar, Germany, to study at the Kunstschule, the art school there, and then moving on to the world-famous Académie Julien back in Paris in 1908. Arp was excited to meet fellow students and learn about the latest possibilities and techniques to produce the best and most cutting-edge modern art. But sadly, his reality did not match up with those expectations. It seems that his experience was similar in this way to that of Annie Albers, whose life we discussed at the beginning of this season. In both Weimar and in Paris, Hans Arp was met with time-honored educational techniques based on the study of nature and its close reproduction via calculated techniques and purposeful execution. Now, let me be clear that there is absolutely nothing wrong with learning the process of art making in these ways, but it wasn't what Hans Arp was looking for. In fact, it was the opposite of those ideas of chance and the bucking of tradition that meant so much to him. Disillusioned, he thus abandoned his studies and abandoned city life altogether. He needed to get away, to spend some time in solitude in a peaceful spot surrounded by nature. So Switzerland, he decided, was where it was at. And it proved to be an incredible time to think and experiment with the hope of discovering new ways of artistic expression through practice rather than instruction. In regard to his time of solitude and practice, Arp stated, quote, I undertook the first attempts to overcome the preconceived mold of conventional art. 
It was an agonizing time. I read, wrote poetry, sketched, painted, and made tiny sculptures. I destroyed all of my works from that time. Those huge pictures painted in black, gray, and white were no true abstractions of landscape, people, objects, as one finds in the works of cubists. My canvases, the results of months of tormented work, were covered in black mesh, a network of strange scripts, runes, lines, blots. My colleagues shook their heads over them and thought they were just sketches that had failed to come off. From Arp's quote here, you'll notice that he mentions his colleagues. Because he wasn't a total hermit in Switzerland. In fact, he was the opposite. He spent a bunch of quality time on his own, but he also brought a community of artists together to begin the first important modern art alliance in Switzerland, Der Modern Bund, which translates to Modern Bund or the Modern League. And via Der Modern Bund, Hans would meet other notable artists of the time, like Vasily Kandinsky, with whom he would later exhibit in Munich at the inaugural exhibition of Der Blau Reiter, or the Blue Rider, in 1912. With every alliance he made, he hoped to achieve a singular goal. To make fascinating, accessible, and avant-garde works of art. Hans Arp had a little bit of a nomadic streak, at least in this earlier period of his life. So after his Switzerland stint, he returned to Paris for a little while, where he mingled with yet more like-minded artists and writers, like Pablo Picasso, Sonia and Robert Delaunay, Amadeo Modigliani, and Guillaume Apollinaire. Unfortunately, though, he wasn't able to remain there for long. When World War I broke out in 1914, Hans was called to the German consulate for conscription into the German army. But just as he was opposed to traditional methods of art making, he was also firmly opposed to war. And so he did the only thing he could think to do in order to escape this military fate. He feigned insanity and fled Paris, escaping back to neutral Switzerland, settling this time in Zurich. It was a life-changing move in several ways. It allowed him to avoid battle. It provided him with the opportunity to become a founding member of the Dada movement in that city. And, most importantly for our story today, it led him to meet the love of his life, Sophie Tauber. Sophie Henriette Gertrude Tauber was born in Davos, Switzerland, on January 19, 1889, as the fifth child born into a middle-class Prussian family. But her somewhat comfortable upbringing didn't mean that her life was not without its own hardships. Sophie's father, Emile, succumbed to tuberculosis when she was only two years old, and consequently, her mother, also named Sophie, toiled to support her family, moving them to the town of Trogan to open a bed and breakfast. But her mother encouraged Sophie as a creator, teaching her first to sew, which led to an interest in working with textiles. Eventually, the younger Sophie enrolled at the School of Applied Arts in St. Gallen, Switzerland, for two years, where, though a multidisciplined artist who was curious about everything and anything, she focused primarily on drawing and textiles. And that was nice for a time. But she, like her future husband, felt constrained by her instructors. So she jumped around, experimented with different academies and programs, 
moving this time to Germany. So it's almost like she and Hans Arp were acting in reverse of one another, geographically speaking. Between 1911 and 1913, her varied interests led her to split her time between the teaching and experimental studio for applied and liberal arts in Munich and the School of Applied Arts in Hamburg. She took classes in textile art, dance, weaving, and beadwork. She created whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. It didn't matter as long as it was imbued with something simple. Beauty. For Tauber, it was something she saw others often push aside in favor of creating art that meant something. And imagine those two words in huge capital letters. But she resisted that concept. Later noting, quote, The intrinsic decorative urge should not be eradicated. It was one of humankind's deep-rooted, primordial urges. After her studies in Germany, Sophie returned to Zurich to be closer to family. During that time, influenced by her studies in textile design and cubism, she began creating abstract paintings and sculptures, inspired by the non-representational pieces she had witnessed in Germany. Sophie also spent this time exploring two of her other passions, applied art and modern dance. So quickly to define applied art. It's adding design and decoration to everyday practical objects to make them more beautiful, more pleasing. Think lamps, furniture, dishes, and so forth. With her adoration of beauty, it makes sense that Talbert would gravitate to this. But modern dance changed her too. She learned to understand the narrative and expressionistic aspects of dance and to see how they could be intuitively applied in any work of art. So dance, but not just for dance. For her, art was art. Not just fine arts, meaning painting or sculpture, but also anything. Wall hangings, jewelry, dancing, rugs, embroidery, theater, drama. It was all connected, all fascinating to her. Everything to her was worth questioning, beautifying, changing, experimenting with, and attempting to tweak in some new and exciting way. And perhaps attempting something new with someone new would be an important next step. And that is coming up right after this quick ad break. Remember that you could please support me by joining me over on Patreon for a few dollars a month to get this show ad-free. Patreon.com slash ArtCurious. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey, art curious listeners, I want to let you know that my audio course, Breaking Barriers Women of Renaissance Europe, is no longer available from our former partners at Avid. But it is not gone for good. And in fact, I am now going to be offering it directly on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com. And I've put it on sale right now for the next month only for $23.99. So in case you are new to all things Art Curious, welcome. You probably already have a sense that I love to bring you amazing and interesting stories about the world of art history. And so this is why I am so excited to share that I've created this audio course specifically for those of you who are looking to get more into the world of Renaissance Europe through the eyes of the women artists who thrived there. I promise you'll become more familiar with artists you probably have never heard of and those who have made an incredible and very notable mark on art history. Each of these little lessons is only about five to ten minutes in length, so you'll be able to enjoy them on your own time in a manner that won't take a big bite out of your day. And of course, there are no term papers or final exams, just art history for fun. Find it now on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com slash products. And a reminder, it is on sale right now, August 7th, for the next 30 days for the low price of $23.99. On September 7th, that special pricing will go away and it will revert to its traditional retail of $29.99. So enroll in this exclusive course and become a quick expert on Renaissance women artists with me. Looking forward to sharing it with you. Welcome back to Our Curious. In 1915, after the beginning of the First World War, Sophie Tauber and Hans Arp both found themselves in Zurich, living in the same city for the first time. And it was there, at an art exhibition at the Gallery Tanner, celebrating Hans's work, that they first met. Some accounts declare that the artists met while at one of those Dada cabarets in Zurich, but that doesn't track with Hans's own account of the events. Now, for his part, it appears that Hans was already infatuated with Sophie, or at least with her art. He seems to have been familiar with her work even before meeting the artist herself, later noting that he was enthralled by her extraordinary craftsmanship, as well as the geometric constructions in her paintings and her textile works. Hans was besotted with her creativity, and soon enough, with her. Ever the Romantic, he would later say, quote, the exhibition that was held at the Gallery Tanner in Zurich in November 1915 was to be the greatest event of my life. It was where I met Sophie Tauber for the first time. It makes sense that Hans Arp and Sophie Tauber would find themselves in a relationship, as they had such similar goals. To move away from artistic conventions and to experiment, experiment, experiment. This led to a partnership that was absolutely essential to them as creators. Both before their marriage in 1922 and throughout their lives after, they blended their works together, collaborating on tapestries, drawings, collages, and sculptures. Their first collaborations were in the fields of dance and performance, in fact, where they experimented with a range of styles and techniques. In 1916, they began working together on the creation of masks and puppets, which they then used in their various dances and performances. Hans published books of poetry for which Sophie made illustrations. She created tapestries reflecting their dual designs. Though they were amazing creators individually, their works reached an altogether different height when they began their collaboration. 
one work entitled Eheplastic Marital Sculpture, which is a small curvy wood sculpture from 1937 that almost at once feels like a geometric abstraction and yet reads figural at the same time, is often described as one of the significant single pieces created by this couple. In a 1993 article, writer Rene Rees Hubert described the piece as a perfect metaphor for the couple. She writes, quote, The playful title is significant in itself, for it designates marriage and art in such a way as to make them inseparable. Not only does the title designate the work of art produced by a couple, it also suggests the marriage of true minds or skilled fingers had sufficed all by itself to give birth to the work of art. And as this artifact represents marital union, it functions simultaneously as object and subject. Throughout the 1920s and 1930s, Hans and Sophie continued to explore, create, and exhibit their art. Individually, Sophie concentrated on textiles, applied arts that we mentioned earlier, and even interior design, a passion she would explore even more fully as the 30s progressed. For his part, Hans, who had gained recognition for his collages and other chance-inspired pieces during his Dada years, found himself at the forefront of another burgeoning art movement, surrealism. The first surrealist exhibition, held at the Galerie Pierre in Paris, included art alongside other folks like Giorgio de Chirico, Max Ernst, Paul Klee, Man Ray, André Masson, and Joan Miro. Part of ARP's inclusion here was not only because of his excellent work, but also one of geographic proximity to the core of surrealism. Paris. In 1929, after living in Zurich for nearly two decades, and after being married for seven years, the ARPs sought a change of location, and after being granted citizenship, the Arps moved to France. Hans, now going by the more French version of his name, Jean, was thus in the right place at the right time to be submerged into that surrealist lifestyle, even enjoying his own solo exhibitions in surrealist-specific galleries, as well as two hugely important exhibitions that showcased his work in the U.S. for the first time, both at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. First came Cubism and Abstract Art in 1936, and later he was part of the landmark show we've mentioned previously on Art Curious, Fantastic Art Dada Surrealism, from later that same year. But their individual projects were, naturally, complemented by their co-productions. In France, Sophie was sought after for her design skills, most notably for the Strasbourg entertainment complex known as the Obet, which she completed with her husband and fellow artist Theo van Dersberg. Sophie was commissioned to redesign the bar and the tea room at the Obet. She had her hands full at home, too, because she also redesigned the couple's stylish live-in studio on the outskirts of Paris. Sophie and Jean lived together in Paris for just over a decade, until 1940, when the Nazis occupied France. Fleeing the capital, the Arps, like so many others, moved down south to the beautiful town of Grasse, where the couple lived their best artsy life as part of an artist colony that they spearheaded alongside the Italian artist Alberto Manielli, his wife, Susie Gerson, and Sonia Delaunay, who joined in after the 1941 death of her husband, fellow artist Robert Delaunay. Talk about yet another awesome artist couple. 
For a few years, the colony members produced drawings and lithographs in this true magnanimous collaboration, with each artist credited equally for the work's creations. Their items were eventually published in Paris in 1950 under the title The Grasse Album, and is yet another example of the warm atmosphere that the Arps always fostered, breeding creativity and cooperation in every environment they visited. As you might remember from our first episode this season, when we discussed the wartime problems faced by Max Ernst, you'll know that the south of France didn't remain a refuge for long. As Axis troops moved into the previously unoccupied region, the Arps fled, returning home to Zurich with hopes of securing passage to emigrate to the United States. But alas, it wasn't meant to be. On January 13, 1943, Sophie Tauber Arp missed a late-night tram home, so she sought refuge from the cold by sleeping in a nearby home. It was later discovered that that house had a faulty gas stove, and Sophie died in her sleep from accidental carbon monoxide poisoning. She was 54 years old. Jean Arp was naturally devastated by his wife's death, he fell into a deep depression and disappeared from the public eye for nearly a decade, spending time in seclusion to grieve the love of his life the only way he knew how, by creating art. Journalist Tessa Solomon writes that after Sophie's death, Jean, quote, ripped up some of her works to form new collages from the fragments, desperately extending her spirit through the act of revision. He wrote lovesick poetry and worked to catalog Sophie's works. But eventually, especially after the end of World War II, Jean Arp returned to his own projects. He began sculpting again, and after moving back to France in 1946, he devoted himself to his work more fully. And ultimately, it paid off as he reached a new level of international acclaim. In the 1950s and into the 1960s, he enjoyed solo exhibitions all over the world with major retrospectives in both Paris and New York, as well as completing commissions for murals and sculptural reliefs in Europe and the U.S. He found an emotional center point, too, in the late 1940s, in the friend and art collector Marguerite Hagenbach, whom he would eventually marry in 1959. She brought great solace to Arp in the final years of his life before his death in June 1966 at the age of 79. As is a typical story for many women artists from the 20th century and long before, Sophie Tauber's works received a lot less attention than her husband's did in the decades after her death. Jean, of course, fought against this, opting to memorialize his wife in small exhibitions that he showcased in their former Parisian suburb studio, the one that Sophie had lovingly designed before World War II. And no less than three foundations currently exist in Europe to preserve the works and memory of both Jean and Sophie. Finally, many years later, after far too long, both of the artists are being recognized together as playful, exciting creators who were at the forefront of European art in the first half of the century, with Sophie in particular receiving overdue attention as an incredible artist and designer in her own right someone who doesn't need to be remembered only as 
Jean Arp's wife. In 1995, her home country gave her an even greater amount of attention. From that year until 2016, Tauber Arp was featured as part of a redesign of Swiss banknotes, and her face appeared on the 50-franc note. She was the only woman to ever be featured on Swiss currency. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. Huge thanks to Kristen Hansen for her great writing and research help for this episode. The Art Curious theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our brand new fabulous logo is brought to you by the fine folks at Vaulted. Check them out at vaulted.co. Our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki. Podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support, and you can join us at Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee. Check back with us soon as we explore some of the most unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful modern art lovers in art history. <laughs> <laughs>